You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Steve Marici here. It's great to be with you all this morning. I do want to give a special shout out to Lindsay. Thank you so much. What an amazing voice. So encouraging uh, to be able to connect like this today. I do want to uh, thank the Martinez family too. That was a special treat today. Uh, as well as the rest of our worship team, our tech team, uh, the Craig Studios here in Torrance. And uh, for those of you that I know it's been a little off-putting when I wear the Steelers mask, I decided to not wear a mask uh, today. But uh, anyway, so I do have an announcement before I get rolling here today. Uh, just a reminder uh, about the uh, Shapiros. We have uh, coming up on November 21st from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Special afternoon with the Shapiros, Dr. Shapiro, both. Uh, they are, work at Duke University, and we have a special honor of having them do a segment for us here on Saturday when it comes to mental health, burnout, just uh, navigating COVID, working at home, parenting at home, everything at home that we're doing these days. And uh, I really, really uh, want to recommend the book that they've written, too. It's, it's been revised. It's called Rejoice Always. Uh, you've probably heard my wife talk about it. It was something that was very life-changing for her, but just a great opportunity coming up on the 21st. Please register as soon as you can. There is a short survey in the registration, which will enable them to tailor that weekend for us specifically. So do want to uh, give them a shout-out. Very grateful that they've given us the opportunity to come on out. Uh, with that, we're uh, starting a new series. Let me back that up here. There we go. Finding Hope. Uh, it's uh, We're co- going after the Minor Prophets. There's actually... 12 books within the, uh, the, the, with the Minor Prophets. We won't be able to get through all of them, but uh, going to be starting things out today with Habakkuk. Uh, or where, where's Brian at? Is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Uh, it's either one. So you'll probably hear both from me today. I'm not quite sure which is the actual pronunciation. Yeah, yeah there's probably a guttural thing involved there too, but I'm, I'm just going to leave that alone. You can kind of hear the uh, background stuff going on here. But uh, the, entitled Habakkuk, Trusting God in Troubled Times. And uh, hopefully everybody had a great Halloween, staying safe and healthy. And uh, I think with that, though, as I transition to the message this morning, just really understanding, uh, I don't think it takes a whole lot to realize that we are living in troubled times today. Uh, prior to 2020, it was pretty obvious there were a number of things going on. Uh, the longstanding tensions we've had with North Korea and China, Ongoing situations in the Middle East with the likes of Iran, uh, school shootings, ongoing terrorist attack. And then March 2020 rolled onto the scene, ushers in COVID. Uh, For many of us, it's a name that we associate with this particular medium that we're actually connecting with you in some ways today, which is Zoom. And it doesn't stop there. Social injustice and racism hit with a new wave of tension and disbelief that has taken us into our current political situation where we're just two days away from a very polarizing election. And then beyond that, beyond the national, international levels that, are, that we're seeing, all these different things taking place, what makes these times even more troubling are the personal and private pains that we may individually carry. Uh, COVID cabin fever, working from home, schooling from home, everything from home. Maybe you're not working, so without the financial hardship that comes along with that. Worried about your parents' health, your children's health, um, just health in general. I don't know about you, I'm already stressed out and pretty much burnt out just walking through all this. Um, real uplifting right now, right? 
But I mean, these are our real issues that we have to contend with. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible is there is so much that God has set up and has already taken place, can do nothing other than give us hope. You know, in a word like this, many of us are asking ourselves, how long, O oh Lord? How long will our nation be dealing without unrest? How long will our church be shut down when it comes to meeting publicly indoors? How long will I live with maybe a personal situation or personal pain that I'm dealing with? Uh, for parents, many of you can relate. Uh, you get it when you're in the car for any length of time. How long? Are we there yet? Well, going ahead and moving along here. How long is a biblical question God's people have always asked in trying times? You know, it's something that we see especially in the book of Psalms. And today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the book of Habakkuk. It's the eighth book of the 12 minor prophets of the Bible. And it's attributed to the prophet Habakkuk that when it was probably composed was somewhere around seven, uh, the 7th century B.C. He lived during the final decades of Israel's southern kingdom. And it was a time of not dissimilar to what we're going through today, specifically injustice and idolatry. He saw the rising threat of Babylon on the horizon, and that wasn't good news for anybody of his day. I mean, these were the active terrorists during his time. And with that, one of the things I think is important for us to understand is as far as a means of getting through this, is as we try to address our own fears and confusion during these times, really understanding that there's an amazing quote that comes out of this book, and it's a very relevant quote for each and every one of us today out of chapter 2 and verse 4, and that is, the righteous will live by faith. Again, let me say that again. It's something that we really need to hang on to, and that is, the righteous will live by faith. Yeah. Now, this little book consists of only three chapters. It's one of the reasons it gives me the opportunity to get through most of it here today. But it's interesting, out of this little book, it contains this important statement that's quoted by uh, key points in some of the most important books that we have in the New Testament. In Romans 1, verse 17, in Galatians 3, verse 11, and then in Hebrews 10, verse 38. If we can understand this verse in context in light of everything that Habakkuk was dealing with during his time, we'll get an amazing glimpse today into the very heart of Christianity, which is illuminated and shines brightest in challenging times. Where is God? You know, what is he doing in the world today? Does he care about what's going on? You know, and these questions are something that come naturally today by any of us living in a world where craziness and chaos seem to be the rule rather than the exception. And in times like this, I know personally, I can start to question whether or not God is really in control. Does he really have things under control? Does he have my things under control? Is the planet really God's creation? And I think sometimes as disciples, speaking for myself, sometimes we can shy away from asking these questions. You know, we may fear that by asking them we're going to provoke God or God's going to get upset with us. We may be more concerned when it comes to the opinions of others about any questions or fears we may have or simply not know what, if any, answer we may find, let alone have answers for our friends and family when it comes to those that are searching for God and or a purpose in life. Now, as a result, I personally can often struggle with the question, how can I live well in this broken world? How can I be a light in this broken world? Can I make a difference? And ultimately, during these times, what does God expect from me? 
You know, Habakkuk was a prophet who was also troubled about the chaos and brokenness of the world that he lived in. And after years of revival and reformation under King Josiah, a king that was really moving things back into a good direction in Judah, again, we find that the people of God turn away from God. They cease to listen to the law and were perpetuating all kinds of evil and justice against one another. So on the international front, things there weren't very encouraging either. Nations like Babylon threatened the security of Habakkuk's people in Judah without offering any hope or moral and spiritual renewal while the northern kingdom had already been conquered by the Assyrians. So a question you may be asking yourself this morning is a book that's this old, dealing coming out of the Old Testament, have any real importance for me today? Why is Habakkuk so important? Well, I think for me, and hopefully for you, it provides us one of the most remarkable sections in all of Scripture as it contains this extended dialogue between Habakkuk and God, chapters 1 and 2. You know, can you imagine for a second having a one-on-one conversation with God? And this is exactly what we're privy to in this book. I mean, for me, it's kind of amazing, but at the same time, uh, something would probably step into the realm of being a little terrifying as well. And we get this insight, is you know, just to this conversation. The prophet, and I appreciate about this about him, is he initiated the conversation based on his distress about what he perceived as God's inaction in the world. He wanted to see God do something more than was taking place, especially in the area of those that were perpetrating the, these, this injustice, these evil doers. So this book portrays what quite possibly is a frustrated, maybe even discouraged prophet, much like Jonah or Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Although Habakkuk did something differently here, rather than whining and complaining to the people or about the people in his frustration, in his frustration he takes it directly to God. So we see this feisty prophet ask God these hard questions, and he's confident. He goes into it with confidence that God would hear and respond quickly and graciously. I know for me, what it did is it it models for me what it looks like to ask these questions that we might be fearful of asking God, as well as how to be vulnerable with God. He wasn't afraid to ask, nor was he afraid to listen. What we're going to do right now is there's a series of complaints um, I, I know none of us here have ever experienced th- this need to complain about anything. But uh, we, so we do see this with Habakkuk. He's got a few complaints, and he takes them specifically to God. So we're going to start with this first one here. Now, Israel, again, had become violent, unjust, and corrupt. So Habakkuk asked God to intervene. And God replies that he's going to use this terrifying empire, the Babylonians, to judge Israel. So in verse 2 of chapter 1, he starts out with, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you? Violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflicts that abound. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You know, we think about what he's going through here today. Is there anything really new here taking place? Doesn't this sound familiar? I know uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. 
So to be able to be privy to this interaction, see what the state of Israel was like at that time, gives me hope that we can navigate through these times as well. In verse 3, you know, when we think about the uh, interaction that he's having here with God, he says, why do you make me look at injustice? And I know sometimes we can feel that way, right? We turn on the news and there's just so much craziness going on, things that in some instances are difficult to look at. Why do you tolerate wrong, he asked God. You know, this is an issue that a lot of people have with God and why some people don't come to the faith. They, they don't see that we live in a broken world and the brokenness is because of man, not because of God. You know, destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict and it abounds. Mm -hmm. And we've got all these various uh, sources that we go to today. It's constantly, if you have your notifications on, you're getting it from Twitter, you're getting it from Facebook, you're getting it from Instagram, TikTok, whatever, unless you're old school. And then it's a little bit slower process. Well, actually, you can get it digitally as well, though. But Newsweek, you know, USA Today, the New York Times, the LA Times, whatever it may be. But it's all right there bombarding us on a daily basis. You know, what's the Lord's answer to this complaint? Well, right here in verse 5, it says, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And I'm just thinking about what's being said here, this promise that God makes. Is this something that could hold true for us today? Of course. Yeah. Why not? God replies, verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians. For us today, it could be any number of nations. You know, it could be a matter of using China or Russia or North Korea to get our attention. You fill in the blank with whatever you think it would be. He goes on, and so I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than the wolves at dusk. They are law to themselves, and they, prevent, they promote their own honor. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They are come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and they scoff at rulers. They laugh at all the fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture those that are behind those walls. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own strength is their God. You know, uh, from there we transition to Habakkuk's second complaint. He's upset. And he's perplexed that God would use this incredibly violent, unrighteous, and corrupt nation, Babylon, to judge Israel. So God replies that all nations will be held accountable. In verse 13, he says, we see, we see Habakkuk engaging God again. And, you know, this is something that we've got to be careful with as Christians. A lot of times we can look around and we look at people that aren't of faith, aren't of the faith. And, you know, it seems like they've got it going on. They've got the bigger houses, more money, the bigger cars, and it doesn't seem like they have a care in the world. And I think Habakkuk, really what he, he misses here is the fact that the reason God is doing this is because God's own people had gotten off course. Right. You know, we, we, we see this in Psalm 73 when it talks about the injustice, it's seemingly that those that are faithful go through when it comes to the unrighteous. But what Habakkuk's missing here is that God's people strayed. And if you go back through the Old Testament, virtually every time they went into captivity is because they weren't upholding a proper relationship with God anymore. 
they, they blew off his direction. And with that, God would use these neighboring tribes to help remind them that God is the only way. So we continue here with the second complaint in verse 13. Habakkuk says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallows up those more righteous than they? And we see this continuation through chapter 2, verse 1. And what follows is God's response, which is also known as the five woes. In Habakkuk 2, verse 6, he says, what he does is he lists out the five woes that were perpetuated by Babylon. And ultimately, responding to Habakkuk, you want to know what's going on behind this? What's about to happen? Buckle up. Verse 2, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. So obviously God wanted it in writing so nobody could misunderstand where he was coming from. And then in verse 3 it says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Amen. So God tells Habakkuk here in verse 4, Despite all the chaos, chaos despite all the crazy, we've got to be focused. The righteous will live by his faith. And while we may continue to wonder about the details and the timing of God's plans, we can be confident of his intentions. God will accomplish several goals that are hard to imagine, ultimately showing his glory to the world, ending injustice, and caring for his people. God's purposes may be difficult to see, but we live in our Father's world. We can trust him, amen? So again, the righteous will live by his faith. I want you to really pause for a moment and think about this. Do you understand this? Is this something that you get? I mean, this is our answer. We are to live by faith, not by sight. Why? Well, I think one of the biggest things is really understanding that maybe God's timing isn't our timing. In 2 Peter 3, verse 8, it says, Dear friends, don't forget that the Lord one day is the same as 1,000 years and 1,000 years is the same as a day. So God continues here, and he gives five woes and two sets, each indicating and ending with a declaration of God's ultimate glory. In verses 5 through 8, and you can take some time this week to go through this on your own. I'm not going to read it verse for verse, but in verses 5 to 8, the first woe is woe to the plunderer. Babylon and all plunderers, you know, understanding that at some point in time, any of us or all of us can be victims and have to deal with a victimizer. Verses 9 through 11 says, Woe to the dishonest, to cheaters, to swindlers, to thieves, that they ultimately will be shamed. And then in verses 12 through 14 it says, Woe to the unrighteous builder, you will be undone. So that's the first set through verse 14 in God's promise, God's glory which once dwelled in a in desert tent, verse 14 then the temple in Jerusalem, that one day that his kingdom would fill the entire world, the entire earth, would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So we have the first two woes. They target unjust economic practices, how some who were wealthy would charge ridiculous interest rates just to keep poor people in debt. 
and to build their, their wealth through unjust means. The third well, woe is a critique of, at that point in time, slave labor, treating humans like animals and threatening them with violence if they didn't produce. So with verse 14, God's promise, God's glory would be that what once where God dwelled in a tent in the middle of the desert, that his kingdom would fill the entire world. One day his kingdom would fill the entire earth. And for me, that's helpful. You know, uh, I think a lot of us can be dealing with varying degrees, uh, burnout, uh, battle fatigue. This is helpful for me knowing that this has already taken place and it's a part of my purpose to make God's good news of the kingdom and of Jesus Christ known. Amen. So the first promise is God's glory. The knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ, will fill the entire world. Now, with that, not everyone who's made Jesus Lord of their lives, we, we know that. that that's not going to take place. But we, we're called as disciples to get the word out there to everybody. When it comes to Judgment Day, there will be those that appear before Christ on Judgment Day that have not made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. Philippians 2 makes it real clear, though, it doesn't matter who you are or what you are, Disciple or not, every knee will bow before Jesus Christ and face judgment. Every knee will bow. And right now I feel like bowing to Brian Craig who just turned on the fan. I'm feeling much better about life right now. Thank you, sir. <laughs> so moving along here, uh, there's the second set of woes. And when the fourth woe targets the abuse of alcohol by irresponsible leaders in this passage. While people are suffering under their bad leadership, these guys are out there partying away, wasting their money on sex and booze. In verses 15 through 17, we have woe to the shameless, the perverse. It says, you will be shamed. Disgrace will cover your supposed glory. And then in verses 18 through 19, woe to the makers of speechless idols. You will be silenced. So, you know, the fifth woe here is dealing with idolatry. Uh, it, it's the same thing today. What is it that we worship before God? Uh, the fifth woe exposes idolatry. This is the engine that drives the nations then and it drives the nations today. They've made money and power, and that bleeds into national security and to their gods, offering their allegiances at all costs. And so people become slaves to their own national empire kingdoms. Now, the practices described here aren't unique to Babylon, but that's part of the point. Given this broken human condition that we live in, most nations are destined to become Babylon. And so this is how God answers Habakkuk in this book. It becomes God's answer ultimately here to all generations. All generations that would follow, including ourselves, who will all live in this corrupt world. And then the second promise, finally here in verse 20, it says, The makers of idols will be speechless when they come before the living God in all his majesty. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You know, the, the glaring point here is that God will bring justice. Amen. Now, we may wonder when. It may be seemingly slow. We may have that perception. I know because of my and or our impatience, it seems like it could be slow. But make no mistake... He will not sweep hidden or human wickedness and rebellion under the rug. Every unrighteous deed will have its repayment. Every plunderer, every victimizer, every cheater, every thief, every shamer, every maker of idols will eventually have to answer for his or her own deeds. 
And that's what, exactly what happened to Babylon, which fell one, type, one lifetime later in 539 BC. They were done. Right. It was over. So back to the prophet himself here. You know, as the maker of idols are now silenced, after Habakkuk's interaction, his couple of interactions with God, we find that at the end of chapter 2 here, he's, he's silent as well. So God's revelation is done. Then there's a break before the next chapter. Chapter 2 is the silencing of Habakkuk with this clear fivefold justice of God. And then in chapter 3, the final chapter, after Habakkuk finally regains his voice, we will receive the long-anticipated response here, and it will flesh out for us what it means to trust in God in troubled times. So after Habakkuk engaged God by questioning his justice, we find him blown away by this invincible, unstoppable, unassailable justice of God. Amen. Chapter 3 ends in a prayer in faith, asking God to remember his mercy and save his people as he punishes their enemies. Habakkuk now is totally convinced here that God will repay Babylon as well as having his faith restored, so he prays for the deliverance for God's people and himself. And in doing so, it's amazing what takes place. He turns to God and what God has accomplished in the past. And this is what I love about the Bible. We can go back to the Bible and we can look at all these incredible victories that have taken place for God's people, whether it's the Exodus, which is being referenced here, all these various times where God has come in and he's delivered his people from injustice, from enslavement, from whatever it may be, once the people repented. Right. So in doing so, God, he, again, Habakkuk turns to what God has accomplished in the past on behalf of his people through the Exodus account, which is what we have here. And talking about a future Exodus where God defeats evil and he brings justice and he rescues all the oppressed through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's this hope, ultimately, that enables Habakkuk to conclude the book with this hopeful praise that even if the world's falling apart, there's food shortages, there's a lacking for water, money, whatever it may be, drought or war, that he will trust and find joy in the covenant promise that God makes to him here in this interaction that they have. So in Habakkuk 3, verse 16, he says, I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I waited patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And then he closes here with direction for the director of music on my stringed instrument. So... Habakkuk, by the end of his book, becomes this incredible shining example of how the righteous should live by faith. He learns that after all the complaining and even hearing and understanding that God was going to use this incredibly unjust nation of Babylon to help bring his people back to himself, he learns to sing praise not just in the good times, but in the troubled times. And we see here that the prophet has written a song for corporate worship, just like our own Brian Craig. Right. Now, now with that, 
I decided, you know, just kind of thinking through all the stuff that's going on, that I have a song title for you, Brian. All right. Hard times are not the end. There you go. And, you know, I don't know why. I just kind of figured I'd mess around with this a little bit myself, just thinking through everything that's going on. So I, I've got some lyrics I put together here. Right. Wow. Come on, Steve. Here we go. You guys ready? Come on, My new truck was stolen. My wife went a rolling. Bye bye with another guy. I lost my job, my my, and my dog up and died. But the Lord knows how I've tried. Times are hard sometimes, and sometimes I've cried. But that's not how my story ends. These hard times are not how my story ends. You know, my as many of you know, it is kind of countryish. That's not who I am, but it made it a little bit easier to rhyme. Just kind of thinking that whole mindset of those wonderfully uplifting country songs. You know, you lose the dog, the car, the wife, all of that. There you go. Now, uh, <laughs> you guys may want to know what Jack's response on this is. I think most of you know that I have her take a look at my. My message to make sure I'm not tangential, and she kind of helps me edit things down if I'm there's a little bit too much content, which there can be if you know me at all. And uh, her exact words were, um, um wow, <laughs> maybe leave the songwriting to Brian Craig. She's the wind beneath your wings, bro. Yeah, there you go, the wind beneath my wings. Yes, sir, Bob. So, you know, just getting back to a little bit more serious note here, I figured I had to do something a little more uplifting, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of a downer book overall, and, and these times can be a little challenging, but God's got it. Amen. God's Amen. faithful. Amen. God will on, make us just like those deer to get through whatever the train is ahead of us. And really understanding for God's people, for those who are righteous and live by faith, hardship is not the end of the story. Amen. It never ends in pain for the people of God. It never ends in darkness for the people of God. It never ends in trouble. Devastation never has the last word. Amen. Our story doesn't end with Good Friday. The grave isn't the end. 600 years before Christ, God gave Habakkuk a glimpse into the truth that he would make so plain to each and every one of us on a bloody cross and with an empty tomb. When times are darkest, God is ready to shine the brightest. So in the most trying times, trusting our sovereign God enables us to live with patience and joy. On the side of the cross, how much more than Habakkuk can we say in our most trying times, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. See, Habakkuk recognizes just how dark and chaotic and troubled the world and our lives can become. And he invites us into a journey of faith, a journey of trusting that God loves this world more than we do, ultimately, and that one day he will deal with its evil. Amen. And with that, you have the book of Habakkuk and what it's all about. Let's go ahead and go to the Father in prayer and pray for communion. Well, Father, uh, I want to thank you for this glimpse into just an incredible relationship between one man and you. And knowing that with the advent of your son, Jesus Christ, being the mediator for each and every one of us, knowing that through his blood and the water of baptism, our sins are forgiven, we can enter into that individual relationship with you as well. Father, I pray that we never lose sight of that. We never lose a sense of gratitude for that, uh, knowing that we are connected to you. And that because of the cross, we have unity. 
And because of that unity, we truly can have an impact in our communities with the people that we come into contact with. Uh, as long as we're willing to take a stand for you, be a light for you, remain righteous in the most trying of times, and with that, knowing that the good news about what you've done for us through Christ will be something that others will have the opportunity to hear, and especially in these times, I pray there will be many that see their need for you in these troubling times. Father, I love you, and I'm so grateful for this opportunity you've given us this morning uh, to meet here together in the Craig's garage, our studio here in Torrance. And I pray that this can be an encouragement to those that have listened today, and that we can start out this week with a renewed relationship with you. So in your son Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 